Hello, good morning. Welcome to Wake Up to the Word. Got my cup of coffee, still working Folgers. It is Friday. It's New Testament Day. Friday, January 20th. And I know that some of you may be very confused, and that's okay. Um, I know that some of you are aware that uh, I had uh, shoulder surgery on Tuesday. And you just saw me yesterday do my Thursdays, wake up to the word, Old Testament Thursday, and it's New Testament Friday. And uh, I look great. Look at this. It's amazing. Except I recorded these two shows on Monday, so <laughs> tomorrow I'll have my surgery. But this was uh, this is when I normally do my recordings for Wake Up to the Word. So I just kept it right in the schedule. And uh, tomorrow I will be going into surgery. And uh, for those of you listening, thank you for your prayers. I appreciate it. I don't know how it turned out. <laughs> but uh, by the time this airs, I will know. So uh, we'll uh, talk about it next week, I guess. So New Testament Friday. All right, here we go. Let's get into this. Here we go. We got um, <clears throat> Matthew chapter 3 and John chapter 1. I'm going to start with John chapter 1. You got John chapter 1 first, so do I. John chapter 1. Good stuff here. We already did part of this as our introduction. We had John chapter 1 because the first five verses are part of our setting the table for understanding. Remember this, in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was in the beginning with God. All things were made through him, and without him was not anything that was made. In him was life, and the life was the light of men. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. Great stuff. The first five verses, first five verses of John chapter 1. And that sets the foundation as we talked about the word being the term used for Jesus, pre-incarnate Christ, all the way back into the New Testament. And once you see it, you can't stop seeing it. You can't unsee it. It's everywhere. The word of the Lord. You, you uh, for many, many years, decades even, I'd say, I just looked at those phrases or read those phrases, the word of the Lord came to and in some cases, it's just uh, informational, word of knowledge, uh, God revealing himself through the Spirit. And uh, But in many cases, I would say most of the cases, it is Christ appearing, the, the second person of the Trinity appearing to that prophet. The word of the Lord came to Ezekiel. The word of the Lord came to Isaiah. The word of the Lord came to Job. You fill in the prophet, not Job. Fill in the prophet yourself. But <clears throat> there's lots of those um, things that happened uh, all through the Old Testament. They're everywhere. And, and, and once you understand it, uh, it's hard not to see it. But understanding that this, the ancient Hebrews understood the duplicity, if not the triuneness of God. 
they certainly understood that there were there was more to God than the singular presence of God. Um, they understood that there were multiple presences of God, and that's probably the best way to word that. They totally understood that. They got that. That's how they worshipped. That's the God that they worshipped. They may not have been as intuitive when it comes to the Spirit, and that has a lot to do for us in the New Testament era where the Spirit of God indwells all believers. Obviously, uh, in the Old Testament, the new the Spirit dwelled in kings and um, prophets and uh, judges and um, priests and so uh, they were sometimes craftsmen uh, but the spirit was on wasn't in everyone or on everyone <clears throat> and so that distinction you can understand why they wouldn't have had a full understanding you see some writings of David uh, take not your spirit from me. There's an understanding that that spirit was not a permanent thing. But in the New Testament, we have a much better understanding of the indwelling of the Holy Spirit for all believers. It's what connects us as believers. But as we get into John here, this the word is given some more identity as we work our way down through, through the text. Uh, it talks about John coming and uh, John the Baptist coming, not the John who's the author, but John the Baptist, and he gives some revelation to the world. He is the first one to uh, to identify uh, Jesus to Israel. And um, it starts here in 14 where, where he gets, uh, Jesus gets fully identified. We understand who the word is. And the word became flesh and dwelt among us. And we have seen his glory, the glory of the only Son from the Father, full of grace and truth. And then if you go down to 17, it says, and this is a great distinction, uh, for the law was given through Moses, grace and truth came through Jesus Christ. There's a great distinction to understand just in that one sentence, is that, <clears throat> those two verses, excuse me, is that the word came in full of grace and truth he sent he's he's from the father the son came from the father and it doesn't say sent by the father it says from the father so he's a part of the father and he's full of grace and truth so that part of the father that has grace and truth is what christ came to earth with and became a man he dwelt among us and then it says there's the the um the juxtapose position of for the law was given through Moses, but grace and truth came through Jesus Christ. So it's saying that the law, though it's true, uh, lacked its grace. Uh, the law, the letter, uh, the letter brings hardship, but grace and truth uh, is, is something very different. Um, Christ came with grace and truth. I mean, can you imagine if Christ at his first appearing, coming coming to us as a man, came with judgment. Uh, he's going to come with judgment, the judgment of God. But in this, in his appearance, he came with grace and truth. And if he came with judgment, anyone who came in contact with would have had judgment. There was no there was no salvation yet until he came 
and, and, and pave the pathway for salvation. So he came full of grace and truth. So he told the truth, he spoke the truth, he brought the truth, but he had grace so he could, he could walk with sinners. That's the only way he can walk with sinners was that he was full of grace and yet he was still full of truth. What a great way to start this off is understanding that, 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 that Christ came and, and led the way with grace. Um, <clears throat> then we get the testimony of John the Baptist, and this is cool because he, he, again, this part quotes Isaiah as well. Uh, he, they ask him directly. The Pharisees came to him, and they, they uh, give him a Q&A as he's teaching, and people are following John, and, and they ask him directly, who are you? Uh, he confesses, uh, did not deny, but confessed, I am not the Christ. They thought he was the Christ. And then they asked him, then, are you Elijah? And he said, I am not. And he says, are you the prophet? And he answers, no, I'm not the prophet. Which is interesting because a lot of people call John the Baptist a prophet, but he says he's not the prophet. And I don't know if that reference was specific to the prophet who is Messiah uh, or, or, or some other uh, reference, but it seems that John's saying he's not a, not a prophet. So they said to him, who are you? Uh, we need to give an answer to those who sent us. And he, he replies, uh, who do you, what, what do you say about yourself? And he says, I am the voice of one crying out in the wilderness. Make straight the way of the Lord as the prophet Isaiah says. That's Isaiah 40, verse 3. And so this is uh, the Pharisees uh, sent them out to, to, to ask that question. He's not the Christ. He's not the Messiah. He is the voice of the one crying out in the wilderness. And uh, this this uh, took place in the Jordan. And then it says uh, he sees uh, Christ coming the next day. He saw Jesus coming toward him and said, Behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. What a great declaration. That sounds like a prophet to me, though. I, you know, he says he's not a prophet, but maybe he's not the prophet. He's not the Messiah. Maybe that's the reference there. He said, Behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. This is he of whom I said, after me comes a man who ranks before me because he was before me. I myself did not know him, but for this purpose I came baptizing with water, that he might be revealed to Israel. And John bore witness, I saw the Spirit descend from heaven like a dove, and it remained on him. I myself did not know him, but he who sent me to baptize with water said to me, uh, he on whom... You see the Spirit descend and remain. This is he who baptized with the Holy Spirit. And I have seen and have borne witness to this, that this is the Son of God. So that's a great, great text right there. That's 29 through 34. And uh, the following uh, segments of uh, this John chapter 1 is Jesus calling his first disciples and then Jesus calling Philip and Nathan uh, excuse me, Nathaniel, <clears throat> and uh, that's what wraps up that. But then we get to Matthew, and uh, this is a, another uh, aspect of some of the same text, I mean the same events. So in those days, this is uh, Matthew chapter 3, this is also the reading uh, for today. In those days, John John the, John Bap, John the Baptist, uh, sorry, um, uh, nothing's not, not working there to get that, kick that tongue into gear. 
In those days, John the Baptist came preaching in the wilderness of Judea, repent for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. For this is who was spoken of by the prophet Isaiah when he said, and this is exactly what John said to those uh, Pharisees, the voice of the one crying out in the wilderness, prepare the way of the Lord, make make his path straight, Isaiah 4, 43. So <clears throat> now it talks about John and, and how he says to calls them all a brood of vipers. And, uh, and, and this, this interplay between these religious leaders, uh, when he saw many of the Pharisees and Sadducees coming to his baptism, he said to them, you brutal vipers, who warned, who, who warned you to flee from the wrath to come bear fruit in keeping with repentance and do not presume to say to yourself, we have Abraham as our father. For I tell you, God is able from these stones to raise up children of Abraham. What he's saying there is he's telling them, you know, you're saying yeah, our father's Abraham. We're we're all that. We we're, we're the we're the authority here, and and John's telling him God could raise up his his followers from these rocks. He he doesn't need you to do that. Um, and then he goes on to say. And now the axe is laid to the root of the tree. Every tree, therefore, that does not bear good fruit is cut down and thrown into the fire. He says, I baptize you with water for repentance. But this is verse 11. I baptize you with water for repentance. But he who is coming after me is mightier than I, whose sandals I am not worthy to carry. He will baptize you with the Holy Spirit and fire. His winnowing fork is in his hand and he will clear the threshing floor and gather his wheat into the barn, but the chaff he will burn with unquenchable fire. So this is a reference, though veiled somewhat, to uh, God's baptism. And baptism, as we know, in all its forms, uh, means to dip or immerse, to, to put fully under, to engulf fully. <clears throat> so when you get baptized with the Holy Spirit, you're fully engulfed with the Holy Spirit. You you are uh, baptized in the Holy Spirit. He comes he comes within you, fully baptizing. When you're baptized with fire, you're fully engulfed with fire. And so this is a reference to the saved and the damned. This is those go, going to glory and with Christ and or those doomed to hell and eternal fire. And so uh, this is not the only place that Christ refers to, to hellfire. Um, there's, there's many teachings out there, many people, many, many think that there, there's, no, uh, there's no hell. It doesn't exist. It's metaphorical. It's not something that God would do. The problem is it, it doesn't line up with, with logic. It doesn't line up with scripture, most importantly, but it doesn't line up with, with logic. Um, if, if everyone was going to be saved, then there's, there's, there's no counter position. There's no, there's no, there's no, there's nothing, there's no judgment. There's no judgment to, to be concerned about. Um, if salvation is the ultimate ultimate destination of everyone regardless of their life 
there's there's no judgment that comes and and judgment is clearly part of Christ's message it's clearly part of it and so uh, we can talk all day long uh, and back and forth about is it literal fire or is it a metaphorical fire that but the truth of the matter is the reality of it is you will be separated from a holy God for eternity, and it will be an unquenchable burning. Whatever that is, whether it's a burning of desire, whether it's literally a pit of, of hellfire, it, we can talk about that. I don't have any issue with that. But if you're neglecting totally that there's judgment, there's a final judgment, then you're not reading the scriptures. You're reading into the scriptures. You're not it's called exegesis. You're not exegeting. You are eisegeting. You're reading into the scriptures, trying to put your own message in there. I don't like that there's hell. Don't get me wrong. I don't want anyone to go to hell. Jesus said he doesn't want anyone to go to hell. But the truth of the matter is, just desiring that no one goes doesn't make it happen, that it's not going to happen. That's just the truth. Uh, the rest of chapter 3 is uh is um Jesus being baptized but Jesus answered him let it be so now thus for it is fitting for us to fulfill all righteousness I, I should have uh I should have uh, read the bottom part over here 13 then Jesus came from Galilee to Jordan to John to be baptized by him John would have pre prevented him saying I need to be baptized by you and do you come to me? And Jesus answered him, Let it be so now, for thus it is fitting for us to fulfill all righteousness. All right, I'm going to stop there. Then he consented. I'm going to stop there because why does Jesus need to be baptized? There's the question. <clears throat> what is baptism? Some people say you need to be baptized in order to be saved. I don't believe the Bible teaches that, but what I do believe is it's not something to cast aside. Uh, Jesus got baptized. He said it was to fulfill all righteousness. And righteousness is that one of those words that kind of has a multifaceted meaning in Scripture. Um, we can have righteousness uh, put upon us, which we do at the time of salvation. It's called imputed righteousness. It's the righteousness of Christ that's put on us. <coughs> Excuse me, when we call on the name of Jesus. And it is put on us and we receive it. And that's how the Father sees us as righteous uh, in Christ. Okay, that's imputed righteousness. We all get that as, as true born-again believers. But then there's another kind of righteousness that God talks about throughout Scripture, and it seems to be something that we participate in. It's a righteousness that we uh, that we conform to, that we enter into by reading Scripture, by changing our lives, by changing our character. We enter into righteousness, and and what that is is we do things God's way, God's best for us, as he lays it out in scripture, we adjust our life toward righteousness, towards God's 
best towards his way. And so when Jesus was was being baptized, he says it's to fulfill all righteousness. It's to fulfill the best ways of God. And so uh, he's showing us that baptism is something we need to do. And and if you've been with me for a study in, in uh, First Peter, uh, when we got there, uh, baptism is far less it's it's an it's an act of obedience and it's a picture of our salvation the, the death and burial of christ and he comes up out of the water risen to new life and we have new life in christ so our de- our old self dead and buried come up out of the water new life in christ we're a new creation in christ great symbolism great picture water baptism by immersion is the is the only way to get that picture um but what it really speaks of as as first peter says it says it's it's a a pledge of loyalty. Uh, it's translated differently in a lot of translations. It's like an act of the conscience, uh, 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 a pleading of a good conscience. But what it really translates as more directly is a pledge of loyalty. And so that's what baptism is. It, it you are coming before God in righteousness the imputed righteousness of salvation, and you are pledging your loyalty to God. And it's a public ceremony. You're making a public pledge with a ceremony, a ritual that gives a picture of your identification with Christ. It's a pledge of loyalty. So it's less, it's it's more than just the ritual, but it's not actual salvation, but it's a pledge of your life to follow Jesus the rest of your life pledge of loyalty so so that the Jesus is showing us this is necessary for your faith walk this is necessary for those who are saved to enter into the waters of baptism and then something very cool happens let me continue and when Jesus was baptized immediately he went up from the water and behold the heavens were opened to him, and he saw the Spirit of God descending like a dove and coming to rest on him. And behold, a voice from heaven said, This is my beloved Son, with whom I am well pleased. Great section of Scripture because John starts off in chapter 1, and if you connect John chapter 1 in the beginning, and you go back to the last time in the beginning was used, you see the reference to God and the Holy Spirit. And in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. The earth was formless and empty, and the Spirit of God hovered over the face of the water. But in John chapter 1, in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was God, Word with God, and the Word was God. In the beginning, He was with Him, created all things. So <clears throat> at creation, we see God, the Father, God, the Son, God, the Spirit, all together in that creative uh, account in John chapter 1 and Genesis chapter 1, but right here again, now here in Matthew chapter 3, we again see a manifestation of all three aspects of the triune God. We see Jesus Christ comes in grace and truth, come as a man, baptized in the water. We see the Spirit of God descending on him as a dove, not a real dove, but it looked like a dove, descended on him, and then the Father speaking from heaven, this is my Son in whom I am well pleased. Again, the, the, the presence of all three persons of the Godhead 
represented either physically uh, or verbally in one place at one time. And that is a distinction that separates biblical Christianity from all other religions. Doesn't matter what other religion you go to, if they call themselves Christian religion, there has to be this triune representation of the Godhead, or it's not biblically based. We might have other religions. You look at Jehovah's Witnesses are going to come to your door all the time. They do not believe in a triune God. They believe in one God, Jehovah, which is fine, but they say Jesus is a lesser created God, and the Holy Spirit is just the power of God. He's not God himself. That is not what the Bible says. And we'll get to that in more detail as Scripture unfolds uh, with each aspect of the Godhead. <clears throat> you might have the Mormons who, again, think that uh, that there is some uh, uh, no triune three three part God, and that's uh, they they deny that Trinity, and so uh, this is not again not a biblical uh, faith, uh, Christian faith. It's 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 not a Christ following biblical Christian faith. And so we're going to wrap that up there, and I hope that you've enjoyed it. Uh, that was fun for me, and um, we're going to keep going. As I said, uh, I recorded this on Monday, so tomorrow morning, uh, tomorrow about noontime, 11.30, I show up, and uh, probably start uh, cutting probably starts uh, <laughs> at about noon. So uh, I'd appreciate your prayers. Uh, you're not going to hear this until uh, afterwards, but... Uh, Thank you so much for praying for me. If you've done that already, many of you already know about this, so uh, I appreciate it. And that's all we have for Wake Up to the Word, Friday, New Testament edition, episode six. So glad you joined us. Share it with a friend. You can uh, get all everything you need to know at www.wakeuptotheword.org. Lots of information there for you. Jeff's stack of stuff where you can get any documents that I use. I didn't use any this week, but uh, we'll get some more for you because I use them from time to time. And my stack of stuff will always be there on www.wakeuptotheword.org. So we're glad you joined us here at Wake Up To The Word. You guys have a blessed weekend. Get into the house of the Lord on Sunday. Uh, if you need to find a church, send me an email. Let me know. I'd love to point you in the right direction. We have contacts all over the country with great churches. So get yourself into the house of the Lord and start learning some of these things yourself. Have a wonderful, God-first, amazing weekend.